only five of these centers operate across America. They are instrumental to managing and understanding the problems associated with foodborne diseases. One of these centers is located here in the state, the Colorado Integrated Food Safety Center of Excellence. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Established by the Food Safety Modernization Act of 2012, the Centers for Disease Control set up five of them to work with local health departments in a region to provide guidance, training, and keeping abreast of developments. When we hear of outbreaks of listeria, salmonella, or the like, this center is instrumental to controlling the problem. The Colorado Center supports nine states. Joining us for this edition on the Colorado Integrated Food Safety Center for Excellence, we do a Zoom call with epidemiologist Rachel Jervis. There are five integrated food safety centers of excellence in the United States. And yes, in Colorado, we are lucky enough to be awarded one of them. They're funded by CDC, and each one is a partnership between a state health department and a school of public health. So for us, it's CDPHE, or the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and Colorado School of Public Health. Now, when we have a, let's say, if we have an outbreak of listeria or something like that, does the center help support the local health authorities in managing it and getting them the information and data they need to keep it under control, maybe making recommendations on what they ought to tell uh, maybe food stores what to do or restaurants what to do? Yeah, our food safety network in Colorado is actually a bit more complex than that. So you referred to our local public health agencies. And then at the state health department, we have a large epidemiology team that focuses on foodborne enteric water and wastewater diseases, as well as an entire environmental health section. So it's really a collaboration among these groups to respond to all aspects of an outbreak. Our Food Safety Center of Excellence is actually predominantly externally focused towards other states in our region and supporting them to do the best and fastest outbreak response so we can prevent additional illnesses. Do you have different illnesses which may occur in the region in different places? Hmm, That's an interesting question. I will say that predominantly we all see the same enteric pathogens, but we might be seeing different things at different times. So some things have seasonality, and we're all, for example, we're all more likely to see norovirus in the winter than in the summer. But other things really vary based on local exposures and the food distribution system. Is, is it a seasonal thing? Do we have outbreaks seasonally that you look out for and maybe alert local authorities, which something which may happen and hasn't occurred yet? Absolutely. So I think the best two examples of this um, are each spring, right around Easter, we or a little bit after Easter, we start seeing salmonella cases associated with live poultry. So chickens and other live poultry, they live with salmonella. It doesn't cause them any illness. However, it can cause illness in their caregivers. Uh And oftentimes people get their baby chicks around Easter. So in the spring, we will sort of gear up 
for live poultry season and share educational resources with our local public health agencies and prepare for that. So in the fall, we typically will kind of gear up and plan for um, norovirus season. So in the winter, we're more likely to see norovirus. And so we'll prepare for that and share messages and resources. The scenario which may occur Therefore, to that, do we have anything that maybe surprises you along the way? I will say that my favorite thing of my about my job is that I am constantly surprised and investigating new and different outbreaks. And it honestly, it keeps us on our toes. It keeps us learning and contributing to the field. So certainly, there are pathogens that are newer to us. Um, and, and I think part of that can be imported foods, but another big part of it is actually changing laboratory diagnostic tests. So as laboratory diagnostic tests kind of advance, we're able to detect some pathogens. Cyclospora is a good example uh-huh. that really 10 years ago, it was really hard to detect that because people weren't testing for it. But now it's included in a more widely available test, so we're able to detect cases and identify outbreaks. Is testing something you do regularly just to to keep on top of what's going on with uh, with food, to keep it safe? You, you constantly test to not only update your knowledge about it, but to be prepared in case uh, uh, an outbreak associated with it occurs? Yeah, some of our federal regulatory partners play a larger role in that. Uh-huh. Um, but the Food Health Department does receive some federal grant funding to do routine food testing, exactly like you're describing. I'm more likely to be involved in food testing if it's about a specific outbreak. Do we have waterborne uh, environment and environmental diseases we have to look out for as well? Yeah, and I think water treatment, particularly when you're camping or hiking in the backcountry, is really important uh-huh. because we have wonderful wildlife in Colorado. And wildlife, unfortunately, can also spread some diseases. So no matter how pristine a mountain stream may look, there is a chance that it could have pathogens in it. And that's why it's so important to um, filter and treat your water when you're out hiking or camping. Okay. Now you said that. And I've been out hiking and camping, and I've always kind of used the rule of thumb, the higher up I can get, the less chance of that happening if I'm above tree line or something like that. Uh, is, is, is that a rule of thumb I could keep using? Because sometimes I'll just drink the water when I'm, when I'm way up above tree, tree line and it's all rocks and stuff. I would encourage you to filter and treat your water regardless of, of what elevation say that. or area you get it. I knew you'd say that. I got to do I it. know. Okay. No matter what level you're at, even if you're up at Echo Lake at the top of uh, Mount Evans, treat the water before you, before, you, uh, before you use it. Definitely. Usually local water departments will take care of filtration and maybe that kind of thing in the local water supply. But do you backstop them at all with information as to what may be going on in another one of the five regions that they may have to look out for here? Yeah, I think there's a, there's another group at, at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment that supports uh, clean drinking water, and they do an incredible job working with, with water treatment facilities. I think my group would only be involved in the incredibly rare instances when there have been concerns about municipal drinking water. If there's an outbreak in another center region, then uh, they are sending everybody else the information about it uh, in the event it occurs 
here in the region that you have to look at here as well? Yeah, there's a great public health network nationally where we can share information. And, you know, in Colorado, we report de-identified information about cases of newborn disease as well as outbreaks to CDC. Mm-hmm. And then we have ways to communicate with other states. And it's very common to get an email from a state in our region saying, hey, we're seeing more of this than usual for this time of year. Are you? And it's very, it's a very collaborative environment. And we really are able to both learn from one another, help each other solve outbreaks, and prepare for things that may be coming because it's happening in a neighboring state. Your training, your surveillance, all of this goes on constantly. So you're always on top of the food supply then to keep it safe. And it's something that we go to the store, we just buy something. We don't even think, give a second thought regarding the system that's in place to keep our food safe. And yours is an integral part of that. I often joke, well, Pre-COVID, I joked that that public health and epidemiology had a PR problem because no one knew we existed until something went wrong. And I I think we can both agree that that's changed a bit over the past few years. And and suddenly I have friends and relatives who are like, oh, now I understand what you do as an epidemiologist, Um, even though I've been doing this for for decades. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I I think that there's a lot going on to both prevent born outbreaks and then if they do occur which they will occur it's, it's unfortunately it's inevitable but my team's job is to identify it as fast as possible solve the outbreak so we can prevent other people from consuming whatever food product made them made individuals ill so we minimize the impact of outbreaks you mentioned COVID-19 there when, uh, was a year ago, when, when, when a year, almost two years ago, now it's been going that fast. When COVID started to spread, did you have to, uh, to test food to see if any of the pathogens in COVID was getting in, into food and it could be transmitted to us that way? Yeah, so what's interesting is that, that people can actually shed COVID in their stool, and we we use testing of wastewater to learn things about COVID in the community. However, COVID is not transmissible by ingesting it. And so we spent some time reassuring individuals that they wouldn't get COVID from food they ate. Um, But a lot of our work was sort of adjusted to support the COVID-19 response. Do you see any reoccurring... uh, bacteria that's emerging that we need to know something about? Yeah, I think one of the things that that foodborne epidemiologists as a profession are concerned about are strains of bacteria that come up repeatedly. And so since our goal is to prevent illness and minimize the number of people who get sick, when we see maybe the same pathogen associated with the same region or the same food item, we're trying to figure out what's going on and how, with our regulatory partners, how can we prevent that from happening next time or next year? Um, We're also, we're in a really fantastic time technology-wise. For example, every case of salmonella in our state, the Uh specimen ends up at the state public health lab and they sequence it so we can look at the genome and know how related it is to other salmonella cases and know characteristics of it. 
And so I think we're we're at a really exciting time of kind of having a lot of rapid knowledge gain in a short period of time as we use new technologies. I guess if you could uh, tell the uh, general public one thing about the center that's really important that they need to know about, what would it be? You know, I think you started by saying that our food safety centers of excellence sort of fly under the radar. And, and I think that's true. I think that if we're doing our job right, it's really other public health agencies that know about us. And we try to partner and rely on our colleagues who do a lot of the good um, food safety kind of prevention messages. And so we work closely with um, the Colorado State University Extension Office, as well as FDA and USDA. And honestly, I think the biggest thing that is in the hands of consumers yeah. is that once your, once your food enters your house, there are a lot of things you have control over. Sure, I am not personally growing, harvesting, and producing most of the food I consume. However, once it comes into my house, it's in my control to wash my hands, wash produce items, making sure I'm keeping my um, meats separate from raw, ready-to-eat foods, having a food thermometer and making sure I cook things to temperature, and then very quickly cooling it after I'm done with the food. That's very good. So there's there's a lot of things that a number of things that people can do to keep their food safe right there in their own home. And so they won't be subject to a lot of uh, or not a lot of, but in case there's some disease on it that doesn't need to be there. But they can just do that management techniques and they'll be fine in most cases. Yeah, it's a really, really important part of food safety. And it's, you know, the example I think of is when I was a kid growing up, you always washed or rinsed your turkey or chicken before you cooked it. Yeah. And the current recommendation is please don't. There's no benefit of rinsing it, but there's a lot of risk of spreading the bacteria that could be on the surface of the chicken into your kitchen. And the chicken's getting cooked, but you're not cooking your counter, your sponge, your (laughs) sink. Um, And so, yeah, I think we in the home have lots of opportunities to reduce our chances of foodborne illness. Yeah, I guess for a country our size, we have one of the safest food supplies out there. And uh, from all the layers that look at it all the time, keep track of what's going on, it makes it like that. And you do it without anybody really knowing you're there, what's going on. And that's what makes it so uh, so effective and so good. So thank you for, 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 keeping, for keeping my grapefruit safe, okay? My pleasure. Many thanks to epidemiologist Rachel Jervis on Zoom for her insight to the Colorado Integrated Food Safety Center for Excellence. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Keep track of your COVID status and grab a flu shot, too, if necessary. And we do thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.